What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Hubert. In this episode, we talk to Seth Weissman, the director of Field Engineering at Materialize, and Apache Flink Committer about streaming databases. We join him as he starts to talk about the streaming database market. I appreciate that, uh, Seth. Um, yeah, what's uh, what's your uh, perspective on um, in, of uh, streaming databases in the market today? I think I think we're still we're we're in an interesting moment where you know streaming systems you can trace them back to the '90s. Uh, market adoption over the last several years. The the notion that someone needs real time data is less of a sell. Like I, some people still need convincing. A lot of people sort of understand. If I have more up to date data, I can do X Y Z thing in my company, right? If I can to get my fraud detection from one hour down to ten seconds, it will have tangible monetary value. Like I will not lose X millions of dollars a year. Like I think where where the market is still struggling is to position these technologies as business tools. So I I am not a fan of the term streaming database, like as a as an identifier. It feels a lot like calling Postgres a B tree database. Like, yes. Technically, that is true, but who cares? Like, it's not the point. I didn't take Postgres because it uses B-trees. I picked Postgres because it allows me to store my relational data. I can join it. I have referential integrity. It allows me to solve these very practical problems. And if somebody tomorrow said, I discovered this new data structure, and it's 20 times faster and a million times more performant, and swapped out Postgres, great like it's now a better database but it's still sort of functionally the same database and to me streaming database is the same thing like yes it is how these technologies work it is what allows them to do these things that might feel magical but um it presupposes you are coming to the technology looking for a streaming database and not coming to the technology looking to better serve your customers or solve a practical application problem. That's that's an interesting statement and I and I it resonates with me obviously because your people are interested more in the buzzword than the actual business problem and, and solving them. Um with materialize uh there's obviously the name of your company has a lot to do with sure something about <laughs> absolutely and, and and there's a reason for that right there you were you're trying to solve a problem and this problem it's a great name for a company obviously because if you know what a materialized you is and then you kind of know what streaming is you can start to figure out mm -hmm. what kind of problems is, is you know it starts to you know try to solve yeah um, and in that sense uh do you think that um, it could be people that understand those kind of problems or even what a materialized view and how it can actually solve problems in real time? Do you think there is a lot of audience or is the market there for that kind of content or understanding today? I think the market is growing. I don't know if it is fully there today. I think the the business challenges are real. I believe streaming still has just if you put the word streaming in front of somebody, whether it includes database or not, right. it has the connotation of being difficult. Yeah. And I think for a large part that is true. You are working with, I'm not going to call it technology, but XYZ technology. <laughs> You're probably hiring a highly paid, experienced engineer. You are dedicating full-time resources to building and maintaining applications. If you are 
Uber or Netflix or some other large tech company that you often see at conferences talking about their usage of these technologies, it makes a lot of yeah. sense, right? Uber has a 30 person team working on Flink full time. Like they can afford to do that. It provides them real value. Most people cannot. And 30% of the, of the engineers are Flink. No, th uh, 30 oh. engineers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not thirty percent. The world, the world not, a bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's huge. But you know, these are difficult to find, highly compensated people, and it's wonderful. Yeah. And I'm glad they they, they have this role. But in, in my my company, which is not a tech company, uh, mm -hmm. I'm kind of the only one, really. Yeah, <laughs> with that expertise. And, I mean, there there's some with some, but yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, and I think. I, I think that I believe there's a market for the problems that streaming solves. I do not know if there is a market for a large market for streaming engineers and where sort of streaming database comes in and anything else in the space. To me, a lot of it is simplifying and abstracting. Mm -hmm. It is trying to give you the ability to build these systems without having to be that specialist. You are now, hey, I'm a backend engineer. I have a lot of experience building out web servers. I have used OLTP databases. Maybe I've used OLAP databases. I'm a data engineer that mostly works in SQL. Um, this is just another flavor of SQL. It is another flavor of database, and it can do these magical things. Streaming is how it happens, but I don't think about Kafka partitions and I don't think about state right. management. I just, I write SQL and the database is running yeah. that for me. That's, that's another thing. I, I, I see more often the, the startups or, or the companies that really are, are behind real time data processing are trying to make streaming more accessible to, to mm -hmm. engineers. And um, and of course, the database experience is also making it more accessible to like DBAs or people that are just familiar with the database. And oh, by the way, it's streaming underneath, right? Um, what other things do you feel is needed or you think materialized as well as far as um, bringing streaming to the masses? I think there are two things. Um, you, you touched on one and that is the database experience, which is bundling together a lot, number of different components. So again, you look at the streaming market today, you have Kafka, Pulsar, other messaging systems, you have Flink, K-Streams, Spark Streaming, you name it. Well, we're talking about, I have a storage layer. I have a compute layer. I'm going to pull an S3 that is persistent storage. I'm going to then take the results out of that compute and store it somewhere. So that I'm pulling in Elastic or a traditional database or a data warehouse, the data lake. And then I have to serve data out of that. So I actually need some sort of batch system that can potentially read that data or I'm running back to Kafka and doing another application. And there's this explosion of, of complexity. Whereas, again, I'm just going to keep referring back to sort of Postgres as my example of a traditional OLTP database. Mm -hmm. It does most, if not all of those things for those workloads. It stores raw data. It processes that data. It has user management. It, it is in many ways a black box. It allows you to just solve a class of problem. And then focus on your business logic and integrating it with the Java Python code that you need to write that really is not appropriate for the database because of course they're all going to use cases where you need to write bespoke code. Um, and I think where people get lost is they will focus on a technology. I 
am someone who, not me, but they'll come and say, I am an engineer who built the compute applications. I manage the Kafka infrastructure. I do X, Y, Z, other thing. But you need all of those people to do this in practice, right? I need all of those people to actually build and deploy an application. Whereas, and if you zoom out, if you look at the full end-to-end -end pipeline that someone has built and deployed into production, I will argue that what they have done is built a bespoke database for that one application. And when they build a second streaming service, what you're doing is building a second bespoke application where you yep. have pulled together storage and compute and serving and all these things. You know, you go back however many years to to IBM, like what was their business? They were building bespoke data applications and then COD said, wait, what if we abstracted this out and wrote his papers and now we have databases? And I think streaming databases are the same thing. Like, hey, what if instead of writing a bespoke application every time I want to solve a new problem, what if I just had a database? And it's not going to solve every problem under the sun, right? Like, I use an OLTP system. I still write backend code. Like the web server didn't go away when the database appeared, but let's be honest, it's 9% of my CPU cycles are in the database in any web server. And I think the streaming database can do very much the same thing. Like let's take 9% of the CPU cycles. Let's take 90% of the, the low hanging fruit so that you can focus on the 10% of truly complex uh, challenges that differentiate your business. Interesting. As you let's say, you know, in a year or two, I'll be mm -hmm. optimistic that sure. uh, streaming uh, streaming has been more acceptable as, you know, as mm -hmm. people are looking to solve business problems with streaming. Um, <clears throat> and being it, having it be more accessible does it bring it close to like i say uh is it does it become more decentralized i mean like does it the data does you feel do you feel like that will materialize like the database itself helps with decentralization of data from say like a data warehouse or a lake of some kind <clears throat> I don't know if I would use that language specifically. Mm -hmm. I think I think the pen where the pendulum swings is less about is it a data silo, is it centralized? The truth is I think that has much more to do with the organizational structure of a company than technologies. Like if you have bespoke orgs within your business your data is going to be decentralized. If you have a strong data focus is going to be centralized. You can pick any technology and do that. Um, I think where the pendulum swings is whether or not people are using the building blocks or taking a pre-made solution. So the, the two businesses I look at today are Databricks and Snowflake. Databricks is saying, well, hey, we have our Databricks runtime and we have Delta Lake and we have notebooks and we have all these, and they have all these different Legos that you can put together in some order. And a lot of people really like that. And like, clearly they have a successful business there. And then you have Snowflake who says, we sell Snowflake. And you and I might know some details about how it works on the hood, but most people just go, yeah, I, I write SQL and it runs all my data and it comes back and I don't really know what's happening under the hood. There's these things called warehouses, but they're virtual and doesn't really mean anything to me other than it's where all my money goes. <laughs> and I don't think either of those are inherently wrong. Like just different people, some people want to say, look, this is not my skill set. This is not the, um, you know, I'm a marketing business. I'm not a data warehouse business. And some people might say, no, you, you are a data warehouse business and you should lean into that. And I think that's the Databricks model. Like you should lean into the fact that this is actually a data company. And then there's the Snowflake model that says, no, you're a marketing business. 
you should focus on marketing. I'm going to handle the data bit because you don't care about that. You just want something that works and is reliable and is um, efficient and all those good things. And when we come to streaming, what we're seeing is on the one end of the pendulum, again, there's the, I'm going to grab Flink and Kafka and build it myself. And I think for most people, that is going to be too low level. I expect these technologies to continue adding additional layers of abstraction being easier to use, but they're fundamentally Lego bricks in the Databricks model. Sure. Then there are things that are going to brand themselves as the streaming database that I think fall more into the Snowflake model. Like, no, no, no this is not your problem. We're going to handle it for you. You're just going to write some SQL and, oh my God, look, here's an answer. It's interesting. Um, <clears throat> there, that, that kind of ties in with your um, new business model, right? <laughs> with this more yeah, no, closed source approach, I, which is I will tell resembling you, Snowflake, right? Uh, yeah, and look, I have spent basically my entire career building data systems. Um, mm -hmm. It was, I, I got involved with Flink almost immediately after grad school, worked on it for many, many years. A year and a half ago, ended up joining Materialize. Um, and so I have, you know, I've done the open source thing for many years. Materialize is source available. It's a BSL license. Um, I, I really love open source. I'm proud of the work that I did in Flink and just a sort of egalitarian. It's very cool that I wrote code that is now being used by lots of people for very important things. Like that's neat. I'm going to always find that very like self-satisfying. Yeah. Um, but I also think it is naive to think of any project outside of the scope of who is funding it, who is paying the people that work on it, yeah. uh, how it is being maintained. Like those things are just fundamentally intertwined. And unless it is a project being supported by basically Google, Amazon, Facebook, where they can afford to have people work on things that are not so critically yeah. important, the business model matters and is going to shape the direction of the project, what is focused on, what is built. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like I don't, at the end of the day, we're building these things to be used. And, you know, you can, you can have opinions about whether or not open source should be sort of true egalitarian. It should be something yeah. that a business does, but like, <laughs> it's, it, it's just the world that we live in. Um, and I have absolutely forgotten the question you asked that sent me down this tangent, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's fine. It's, yeah, it's fine. fine. Yeah. Oh, Ralph, you have any, um, inputs or, uh, questions? Oh, uh, maybe be more in, in a technical section because especially as a former flink committer, I mean, mm -hmm. it would be really interesting to talk about the, um, internal differences under the covers, basically how, um, yeah, materialize the stream processing with family data flow or differential data flow, and um, mm -hmm. how and how Flink does it. So, I mean, you would be one of the best people yeah. to explain how the differences are, because one of the things mm -hmm. which we tried to explain in the book is also um, the evolution of, of streaming databases. So, in in a way mm -hmm. that um, when you when you come from stream processing, you have um, I mean, just for example, Flink or KSQL or whatever, then um, what you have, you, you have basically, if, if we, we just constrain ourselves to Kafka, you have these input topics, um, mm -hmm. you have um, stream processing logic, which is running on the topics or on the stream, basically. Um, you have some state stores in the background, which um, you need for joins and stuff and windowing. And then um, the output, which is kind of a, um, write a headlog of a, or let's say, yeah. Of, yeah, no, I think a, that's a fair of, of a materialized view in, in a way. So, but that materialized view is basically written back to a topic. Mm -hmm. And then that has to be picked up and brought into a database to actually query it in a way. So that's mm -hmm. how I view it in, 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 in rough strokes. And, yeah. and compared to that, a materialized or rising wave, all these kinds of um, 
approaches, what you do is to basically enhance this, uh, these state stores in a way that they are not mm -hmm. just um, auxiliary technical things in the background, which you might expose using, for example, queryable state in Flink or yeah. interactive queries in, in, in Kafka streams. Um, but you basically enhance them to be more like a database. And then that gives you, on the one hand, the ability to um, to build the stream processing in a much more database-like way. And on top of that, you also have this uh, possibility to query the um, these materialized views um, with all kinds of SQL <laughs> yeah. specialties, right? So that's so that you can, that you can actually bring down streaming or make streaming back backwards compatible in a way to batch because you can, you can mm -hmm. on, the, on the one hand have you these sync topics and the, on the other hand you have the tables which you can query in a batch yeah. manner. Is that yeah somehow right? Or uh, no, I, no, I, I think that's roughly see correct. I, I I think that's roughly correct, and I think that sort of goes back to also what I was talking about at the beginning where something like a flink is the compute engine, but you end up building out the database, right? It gives you the write ahead log as the output. Mm -hmm. You still yeah. need the final store, the query engine versus something like a materialize that is the database. And it has components that might look like flink, timely differential data flow, as you mentioned, but you don't think about those things when you're using them. I mean, ideally, yeah, I'm not going to not going to claim you never do, but you know, if we're doing our job well, you're not. Um, yeah. I think where these things fundamentally differ. Like, I look back at Flink. Where mm -hmm. does it come from? It came out of database research. It was trying to marry uh, MapReduce with sort of database optimization. It was very much a batch system at the beginning. Yeah. Just so happened to have a pipelined architecture, something that is common in OLTP systems. Well, you know what? A pipelined architecture, it's actually a streaming system that just happens to have bounded input. And mm -hmm. uh, the transition of Flink from batch to streaming really was updating the scheduler a little bit, making the sources continuous instead of bounded. But like the pieces were there, the network stack supported streaming. Ah, so, so the stratosphere um, was originally batch. Or... Yeah, transfer oh, was okay. originally a batch project. Oh, okay. Um, right where the the original research was, the dupe is on the rise. Everyone has read the MapReduce paper. It is in many ways revolutionary. Like it feels almost antiquated today to say that, but MapReduce <laughs> solved real problems that people had at the time. Mm -hmm. And so, in that way, it is a step forward. Categorically, I am solving a problem I could not solve yesterday. But if you're coming at this from a database lens and Stratosphere, the project that turned into Flink, is coming out of a database research group, you sit there and go, we have 40 years of database optimization research of thinking about planning and doing all of these different things. Like in MapReduce just threw that all away. What if we can marry those concepts? And okay. so it was originally, again, a batch system, but it just so happened that the internals lent themselves very well to streaming. Like it was not a massive mm -hmm. jump to go from batch to streaming in Flink. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't so like the whole thing. Why was hasn't Why hasn't uh, Spark done that as well? So because Spark kind of because, started out in the same way, right? Uh, and they because went to batch. this is actually where Spark and Flink internals look very different. Okay. So this goes to that pipeline architecture. In mm -hmm. when you run a query in Postgres, Oracle, MySQL, and you think about the different stages, there's a join and a group by and a window clause and et cetera, et cetera. Postgres is not going to run those one after the other. It has what's called a pipeline architecture where it's running all the components of that query at once, and rows are being shuffled around to different operators and the data is being processed. And so at any given moment, you could have some records that are being joined, some aggregations that are occurring. It is a more efficient way to solve a lot of problems. Okay. Link brought that to MapReduce and pipeline architectures are streaming. Like, I, yeah. I'm just going to say categorically, so though someone will disagree. Streaming our pipeline architectures are just streaming with bounded input. 
Spark, mm -hmm. fundamentally, if you can remember the phrase RDD, that I don't think anyone's used in about 10 years, were about, I'm going to butcher this, no one, uh, no one take me for it, uh, <laughs> in-memory MapReduce, like gross oversimplification, not, okay. not true really, but I think as a mental model, you can think of it as an in-memory MapReduce in its purest form. That is not pipelined. You watch your Spark job run, you're going to see it execute in phases. I okay. perform the join, and then I aggregate, and then I do my window clause, and then I do X, Y, Z, other thing. And that's how you end up with Spark streaming starting as micro-batching. Well, hey, we're going to stick with our non-pipelined or blocking architecture, but just try and do things very quickly. We're going to run a lot of phases in quick succession. Um, and it is just... It's a fundamental architectural difference that is at odds with a streaming system. Okay. Oh, really interesting conversation there. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so the assumption is you're, you're marrying databases and streams with the with the as a streaming database and materialize. What kind of um, use cases do you foresee for? Do you, do you expect for the read side? of the tables yeah. or the materializes um, use that you create. Yeah, so I think what I don't see as use cases are dashboards or reports. Like I, a lot of people when they hear streaming database think I have this Grafana dashboard and it's gonna be more up to date or I have this Monday morning sales reports that is gonna be updated continuously and then it's just ready for me Monday morning. Right. You know what? That doesn't need to be a streaming system. That uh, at 8.55 on Monday, you can have an airflow job kick off and it's going to run for two minutes and give you back the results. Perfectly fine, cost effective, mm -hmm. probably what you should do. <laughs> um, I think where streaming becomes important is when, when knowing this data right now would cause you to make a different decision. And typically that means, not always, but typically that means pulling the human out of the loop. So if we're all gonna go sit in a meeting and look at some numbers, we'll pull the numbers at the beginning of the meeting. If we are going to personalize someone's shopping experience, if we are going to detect credit card fraud, if we are going to recommend something, um, having up-to-date results matters. And it means that, you know, if I can, fraud is always the canonical example in streaming systems where if I know all the purchases you have made, I can more accurately detect if this purchase is suspicious. And that matters. And importantly, it's not a person going and looking. It is an automated system. And so it can handle the data updating very quickly and not necessarily having to worry about the person down the hall having seen the report five minutes earlier and us having different numbers in our head. Excuse me. Um, you know, more about this, uh, this yeah. Jay Krebs, more about this, Jay Krebs uh, saying, often saying like uh, getting the companies to become more software or, or, or yeah like everything becomes so, so, so in, in this in, in this way exactly i think if if the goal if the output of some process is for two people to see the numbers and then have a discussion about them batch is actually is a feature not a bug because mm -hmm. I want to make sure that we're talking about the same numbers. Yeah, yeah. If the okay. output is to automate some process, I want it as up-to-date as possible so that automation is taking the correct action. Yeah, that makes totally sense. It's cool. Because, I mean, actually, what, what you're saying is, I mean, that, that there's um, a bunch of these other uh, streaming database vendors coming up now on which focus more on the 
on the dashboards essentially or on all app mm -hmm. and, and dashboards like so they are basically trying to integrate something like pino into the stream processing right um yeah or something and, like, like powers and, and you're actually saying that this is actually not the right use case for streaming databases right in a way yeah, in a way like again everything is fuzzy i can absolutely yeah, point to people absolutely. using dashboards and it is important they're up to date like here's a practical example of a dashboard if somebody is in we have a customer who runs warehouses not like a data warehouse, like a physical warehouse where people work mm -hmm. <laughs> they need their dashboard always up to date because people look at that to understand what they should like physically be doing in the dashboard i need to, hey there's an order that someone has placed i need to go get these things oh we're running out of something we need to go restock like there's there's a practical need there but again the use case is not two people look at that dashboard and talk about it it is here is data there is now a clear action to take on that data and that to me is the important distinction okay That's and yeah when so so materialize is it's a, it's a row base role-based uh, database, right? And the materialized yes. views that you generate are role-based, right? Um, so there's certain optimizations that are required for like more complex analytical queries. Yeah, right? see, I think that's the wrong frame to take. Okay. Sure. Any streaming system is by definition role-based because we're doing one record at a time processing. That said, there are places, said, actually. <laughs> right? Like, I didn't think about it. It's just like this. It's it's totally clear, but it I never really had this yeah. connection. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> every every, you cannot claim to be, columnar and streaming, um, like those things are just diametrically opposed. And it's not that one's better than the other. It's just the opposite of each other. Now, that is okay because. When we talk about columnar, we're talking about optimizing the batch process. I'm going to sum up all these numbers. So let me have them stored in a way where I can quickly iterate over the whole list and add them up. Streaming, you just don't do that. In streaming, I'm maintaining a running total. And when a new record comes in, I just add it. I'm not reprocessing everything from scratch. And so being row-based is not, We don't need to make the sorts of optimizations that you are alluding to in a, an OLAP system. So the the aggregations are pre-computed, so you don't need necessarily need the storage optimizations for the, those complex queries. You're you're doing it as part yeah, of yeah. Because so again, right in in materialize, what am I doing? I'm defining a view and as a user it looks like every other view i've ever written in the day like create view yeah uh, if you if you, if you, if you, user, if you do right? counts you basically just do the counts like incrementally yeah, because you're not increment yeah the use cases you you, you specified nobody's going to be doing ad hoc queries at that level you're you, you know mm -hmm. you have, you have the, a defined event you have a yeah. like a, a streaming you know query that that identifies that event it it's out at alert or or tasks to have to be done right yeah so functionally streaming databases are not exploratory tools mm -hmm. the goal is yeah. not to show up and look at a bunch of raw data and ask mm, what questions could i ask what insights could i find maybe they'll support ad hoc queries because again it's the real world and sometimes you just have to do it but they're not optimized for that they're optimized for Here's the question I want to ask. Here's the insight I'm interested in. Keep this always up to date for me such that you can either inform me when something occurs. That's rule-based fraud detection. When something matches this criteria, I want to push out a result. I want to proactively take it uh, right. an answer. Or, hey, the data is pre-computed. So when you show up for your select statement, it doesn't actually do anything. Right. It's just giving you back the pre-computed result. 
Right, right. So you put you're putting the complexity of the the query in the push query, and then the pull query is simplified. That row based is you know row based storage is yeah. Fine. Right. It's fine because often you're showing up and saying select star from my important view where ID is equal to 10. Like you're often showing up and saying, hey, a transaction came for this credit card. Let me go get the row associated with this credit card, not pull all the rows at once. Um, you say push versus pull. I often think of it as on write versus on read. Like materializes a database that does the work on write as data lands. We are proactively answering the query. Whereas an OLAP system is treating every single select as if it's the first time it's seen that question. Um, and they're just optimized for different things. You know, it's materializes supports ad hoc select statements. It will be slower than a snowflake on the same query on the same data volume, but we're not using them for the same use cases. And so they're just different engineering decisions. They're different products. And, you know, you can throw in whatever data warehouse you like here. Um, the row-based ends up just not being that consequential in practice. Okay. So, I mean, also that um, the main way of working with materialized would be um, doing the sync uh, or using a sync to bring that... back data to Kafka. So you, you wouldn't... Um, not, uh, not, I wouldn't maybe say that's... things through that comment. So, a little, okay. I guess, just or maybe explanation just, uh, of materialized. Rephrase the question. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe if, when you look at your current customers or your POCs, um, what's the main um, way of working with materialized? Is it is it more yeah. like um, syncing out data back to Kafka and then, or is so, it um, more like the batch uh, or, or some SQL query which is going against the database. Yeah. So it tends to be the select and let me explain sort of why. Mm -hmm. Materialize it's not that the data goes to Kafka and then it syncs into another data system or it goes to an application. Um, one of the features that I really like about the system is it's Postgres compatible. Mm -hmm. And so you can use any Postgres client Yep. So what that means is we get a lot of users who say, hey, I'm going to, maybe I'm going to get data into Materialize using a webhook. Maybe I'm going to get data into Materialize using a direct OLTP connector. So like we could connect to a Postgres database using logical replication. Materialize looks like a read replica. Like I might not have any traditional streaming architecture in place. Mm. Data lands, I write my views. They stay up to date. I index them so I can have performant reads. And then maybe the front end, front end's bad word. Maybe the client mm -hmm. is a web server who's answering a question on request. And it's using a standard Postgres client the same way any other web server would. Mm -hmm. um, and we've indexed the data appropriately such that you can get the performant read. We have a feature called subscribe if you're familiar with the uh, cursor concept in Postgres mm -hmm. where it's an iterator over your result set we can give you an, an infinite iterator over your view where we proactively push changes and so if you need that push based work again maybe you don't need Kafka in place to do yeah. that um, but then certainly there is also a Kafka sync and I don't want to um, mm. act like nobody uses it it just it depends is the unsatisfying but Honest answer. Cool. Well, I mean, that's, that's interesting that you said that you may not have a streaming architecture to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. And and in fact, just because Materialize is doing some streaming underneath, the customer may not even know that there is streaming technology yeah. being used, right? Um, and and that's why you kind of like. That's why I like, like the database program. abstraction. Right. right. That, that to me is the whole point of database. And again, to sound like a broken record, you know, streaming database to me sounds like B tree database. Mm -hmm. It's, it's an implementation detail. It's an important implementation detail. It's not 
It's not a secret. I love to talk to you about it. I want to make sure that you know people feel comfortable that this is a system that can do the things it's claiming. But if you are thinking about streaming when you use it on a day-to-day basis, fundamentally we have failed. Right, but but you're going to have people come to you from both sides, right? Mm-hmm. People that know databases, so you may be competing with other OLTB data- databases out there, or you're doing streaming, right? Yeah. And, and then you're competing with other you know vendors that do streaming. You marry the two and kind of blur the lines between streaming and vaccine, mm-hmm. right? Um, and 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 it's hard for people to even know that there is streaming underneath. So you have to like, is it? Do you have two different go to markets that go uh, that go to market to database people versus streaming people? I mean, if uh, like, if I pull up the slide deck, yes, I have a few slides we can show that say like, hey, if you're coming from a data warehouse, this is how to think about it. If you're coming from a streaming system, this is how you think about it. It very quickly turns into one conversation. Really? Um, Because at the end of the day, all of these people are trying to solve the same fundamental set of problems. Right? We're, again, this conversation is very focused on the technology. Mm -hmm. And that's wonderful. And I, you know, I want to geek out on the technology all day long <laughs> is a is a practical tool that people use it's not no uh, no chief marketing officer ever said i have a streaming problem i need you to solve they said i need to figure out how to better um allocate coupons to users when there's abandoned shopping carts and some people will say that's a streaming problem. I'm going to go look at all this data continuously and proactively shoot out a result that says you should give a coupon to John. There's another class of people that say, oh, that's a data warehouse problem. I have all these data points. I put it in my centralized data warehouse because that's what you do with all your data points. And then I'm just going to periodically ask, who should I give coupons to? Who, who should I send this result to? And both of these come with trade-offs. The streaming trade-off tends to be complexity. Okay, I'm now introducing Kafka. I'm introducing Flink or Spark. There is a new skill set. I'm going to hire people that know how to work with this. It is going to, I'm going to write Java code or Python code. It needs to be managed and maintained. and there's, you have to decide if that is right for your business. Then there is the data warehouse case where you go, hey, abandoned shopping carts. They're more effective when you send the coupon quickly. So I'm going to start refreshing my data warehouse more and more often. And it's going to put load on the system. It is going to add dollar and cent cost complexity. So yeah, it was a simple SQL query. It's 50 lines and everyone agrees that it maybe trivially correct, but it ends up being expensive and a bottleneck. And you know what? The data warehouse is just not the right place to refresh something every five minutes. And talking to either of those audiences, again, you just, I, I want to present the technology in such that you understand this is a real system. I'm not just making grand proclamations like, no, I will stand behind the technology. I'll explain how it works as much detail as you need to feel confident. But when you talk about the business problem, these are the same things. And there's always going to be some things that really should live in your data warehouse. Like you're doing historical analysis. You're looking at revenue over the last year. Like, yeah, go, go use a data warehouse. Um, you're doing some complex microservice thing that is not well-defined in SQL. Like, yeah, go use the stream process. Like they're all great technologies. Um, but I do think there is this intersection of question that could be asked in a data warehouse, except for the 
speed at which it needs to be refreshed, the cost, like the, again, dollar and cent cost of running on that data warehouse, or the, look, this would be well served by a stream processor, but it's not worth devoting an engineer for two months. Yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe coming back to the, I mean, jumping back to the technical um, aspects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, um, happy to. Just, just wondering, um, because, oh, just wondering how you do the stream processing. I mean, how tiny data flow really yeah. works. So, it, it, do you have some kind of a of an implementation of a log uh, uh, in the database, or how does it work? Because that that's also an approach yeah. which is taken by other vendors. So, and by, and by Flink, of course. Yeah. So, differential data, timely differential data flow, at their core, look very different from any other system you've probably looked at. Yeah. Um, there, there's there's a lot going on. I'm so Frank, Frank, Frank was successful in, in extending yeah. it to you. Uh, barely, barely. I, I can okay. hold on by a thread. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Frank McSherry uh, was at Microsoft Research for many years, push, published this paper called NIAD, um, left Microsoft, continued working on the subject matter re-implemented the project in Rust is timely mm. and differential data flow to sort of companion projects. The if you want to fully understand what is happening, I would encourage you to read the NIAD paper. That will give you sort of the full details. That's right. <laughs> the it's it's complex. The the gross oversimplification mm -hmm. is timely data flow is the lowest level library. It offers core primitives like scheduling processes, mm -hmm. um, building up data flows. Uh, it is sort of like an operating system for data projects. It's it's incredibly low level. It's almost certainly not what anyone wants to be using sort of in their day-to-day -day work. Yeah. But the fundamental uh, innovations that it brings are progress tracking, so if mm -hmm. you work with another streaming system, you're probably familiar with event time versus processing time and watermarks. Oh, Timely yeah. data flow materialized <laughs> has no concept of that, but it still works with time. Okay. And it works with something called timely progress tracking. Um, this is the part I will not even attempt to explain on the call, but it, it can make event time functionally is about partially sorting infinite streams. I have data with a real world timestamp. I could give a perfect result if it was perfectly sorted mm -hmm. based on that event time, but it's not. It's out of order because things happen in the real world. And your watermark is you trying to trade off completeness, uh, completeness versus latency. Like I will hold back the watermark. Inconsistency as well, right? Inconsistency as well. But it is tying together all of those concepts. There's event time, there's consistency, there's latency, like it's just, it's all sort of muddled together in one concept. Mm -hmm. Timely progress tracking is just about consistency. Mm -hmm. It is saying, when is work been completed? Okay. Now, bring this back to the database and, and what work should happen in an atomic bundle? Bring this back to the database, what does that sound like? It's a transaction, right? Like what work should be an atomic bundle? It should be all the things yep. that happen in a transaction. Or here's a practical example of a query. I have a one-to-many join. I have mm -hmm. customers and orders. Every customer can have many orders. A customer has a address and they update their shipping address. And so I need to update the shipping address for all of my orders. Mm -hmm. What happens in Postgres when you write that query? You're going to select and you're going to see some address, then you're going to run an update statement, then you're going to run that select again, and you're going to see the new address on all the orders. What's going to happen if you do that in a streaming system? You're going to see each order update one at a time. When it should be like, like in, atomic, in Flink, for example, in Flink, in KStreams, in Spark yeah. Streaming, in any of these systems. Okay. If you want to get really databasey, uh, what these systems offer at their best is read committed and causal. If we're looking, if you go to the level of database consistency and correctness, Jepson.io has a great chart on this. It is read committed and causal. Using timely data flow, 
materialize is able to offer strict serializability, which is what lives at the top of that chart. It is what you're familiar with using a traditional OLTP database. And it means that if you run that same operation to materialize, you're going to see the old address, you run the update, and on the very next select, we'll make a very hard firm guarantee that you will see the updated address on every row. Okay. That is important if you are doing something like financial transactions, right? You, the canonical example is you're transferring money between accounts. It should be all or nothing. And so we can do that. We can offer that. A lot of people aren't. A lot of people are going to say, like, I'm not running financial transactions. A little bit of eventual consistency, if it's within a couple of seconds, is probably okay. But what this... Uh... Jamie Brandon block, right? Also, that, this is that James Brandon talks about this quite a bit. What I have found in practice is strict sizeability is important for usability because it matches users' intuition of how a database should work. Like, mm -hmm. even if you've never heard the term before, and a lot of people haven't. If you have used a single instance Postgres database, if you use SQLite, if you use any of those systems, strict serializability is your intuition for what updates in a database should do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the complexity I found in helping people use Flink over many years was this mismatch of mental model and reality of the application. Okay. Hey, why have I not seen all these things occur? I happen to look at the wrong moment and I have to sit there and go, no, 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 sit there, give it a minute and it's going to be right. And it gives you sort of an uneasy feeling. Yeah. yeah. And uh, at, I got this from Kafka streams. Uh, same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and in here, it's like, no, it just, it does what you think it should do. And that's really, really important. Um, then so going back to timely data flow, uh, we have progress tracking allows us to do things like that. Uh -huh. uh, it also allows, it also supports iteration mm -hmm. um, and arbitrarily nested iteration, which is not something that any other, again, data system is going to support in this manner, uh, while maintaining that high degree of correctness. So in Materialize, we support things like recursive SQL. Materialize is Turing complete. You can actually implement a Turing machine in pure SQL and materialize and have it run continuously. Uh, not that I would ever encourage anyone to do that in production, but it's kind of fun if you're just looking to play around. But it also means that uh, there are just practical algorithms that are more efficient when you have iteration in place. Like there are join optimizations you can perform when you know that there's iteration and you can send data back around and back upstream. And it just means that some things can be just practically more efficient. Then we go up the stack to differential data flow. Differential data flow is a library. It's an opinionated library that sits on top of Timely. So it's not a separate project. It's just a higher level API. And it provides the constructs you are familiar with uh, in data APIs. Map, filter, flat map, all the sort of standard things you'd expect to find here. Mm -hmm. The two innovations that it brings to the table are one, it is fully based on the notion of diffs. So data going through differential sort of at its core API is both a value and also a plus or a minus. Am I mm -hmm. adding the state of the system or am I retracting it? What that means is differential data flow can maintain significantly less internal state. Yep. Again, practical example, I have users and their favorite color, and I'm trying to count how many users look like red versus blue. The key on my input so maybe the data, the key in my Kafka topic, if I'm getting the data from Kafka, is username or user ID. But in my group by clause, it's grouping by color. Yep. And users can update their favorite color at any time. 
So what happens? A, I'm Seth. I come in and say that my favorite color is blue. And it goes, okay, plus one for blue. That count was incremented. I later tell you, I've changed my mind. My favorite color is now green. Now, to have that be correct, I not only have to increment green, but I have to decrement blue. And mm -hmm. if you look at my Kafka topic, I didn't tell you my old favorite color was blue when I gave you the update. I just told you it's green now. So you, the data system, have to remember that I told you I liked blue in the past. And you have to store that as internal state in the system. Yep. If the data layer is expecting diffs, then it doesn't have to maintain that internal state. Internal state. It is expecting that it will be told, Seth, blue, minus one, Seth, green, plus one. Again, we have timely data flow saying these things occur at the same logical time. So that changes atomic. You're never going to see double counts for Seth in our color mm -hmm. counts. And also the system is actually maintaining state proportional to those aggregates, not the full key space, which could be rather large. Now, the next question someone is going to ask is, well, where does that diff come from? Where did the minus one appear out of? This lives at a different layer, and I'll get there in just a moment. But for now, just say the diff is going to appear. And so in our compute that is running on a physical machine, that is frankly the expensive part of the system, like it is memory and CPU and disk and all those good things, like it doesn't have to maintain that. Yeah. Um, I, I did drop, yeah. but, but you guys can continue. I'll get a, okay. uh, just, uh, So okay. the other piece, yeah, I'll, I'll finish going and I will, um, I will tell you where the diff comes from. I'm not, I'm not hiding it. It's just a different piece of the system. Oh, um, <laughs> the other fundamental feature that differential supports are called arrangements. The data structure mm -hmm. called arrangements and it supports data sharing. So it means you can at any moment say, I have this output. I have this computation that is going to be interesting to multiple people or multiple processes. Yep. I don't want to process it twice. I want to hold on to that result such that I only have to do the processing once. Practical example in materialize. I have this view. It's complicated. Maybe it's complicated, maybe it's not, but it's doing something. I'm going to now join against it three different times on this ID column. Mm -hmm. It would be really great if I didn't have to process the complicated view three times for three different use cases. I should process it once and then be able to just use it three times. Yep. Uh, another way that we've measured this, uh, you look at TPCH, which mm -hmm. is a common set of queries and data sets. There's something like 22, 23 TPCH queries running over the same set of uh, what is it eight or nine tables input data mm -hmm. yeah. and they're all processing the data in different ways they're joining it they're aggregating it they're it's meant to stress databases in, in various uh, scenarios but functionally it's a well-structured bit of data it looks realistic and that there are keys like if i join two tables together in tpch it's going to be on the same set of keys because it's referentially uh, because of referential integrity. Now, let's say I'm working with TPCH scale one, meaning I have one gigabyte of data across all my tables. And mm -hmm. I want to not just run all 22 queries, but this is materials. I'm going to maintain them. If I ran every single one of those is separate entities that we're not aware of each other, it would require memory proportional to using the input data set 22 times because yep. they're all processing. If I instead begin by putting an index on my keys, so I'm telling it to us, hey, I'm going to be looking at the nations column based on nation ID a lot, mm -hmm. pre-arrange the data. 
it will use memory and CPU proportional to using the data set once. Okay. And it means the system can scale sublinearly in relation to the number of input data sources. So as I have more use cases compared to the amount of data coming in, mm -hmm. I'm gonna begin scaling really well. So that second, that third use case is not going to double my, uh, my usage of the system. Okay. Now, where do the diffs come from? That, that's the big question. So the diffs, <laughs> the truth is, any streaming system is maintaining this information to be able to answer queries that can update. So Flink might store it in internal state. There's going to be sitting in RocksDB. Kafka yeah. might write it out to a Kafka topic. It might uh, do X, Y, Z, other thing there. And materialize. So this is not a part of differential or timely data flow. This is a materialized component now. Okay. We have a layer called persist. It's backed by object storage. It's going to be something like S3. And we maintain in persistence differential collections. So that okay. is where the diff lives. The important distinction between how it works in materialize and how you would see it in your Flink system or your K-Stream system where you have it is one, ostensibly object storage is very cheap. So we have this large collection of diffs. That's okay. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. The second is the diffing process. <clears throat> so I have my upstart data from Kafka that only tells me the current key, but I need to write down two things. Occurs in the source component. So it's being generated by the thing that actually has the Kafka client. Okay. And then it is written down to S3, is written down durably, and then it can be consumed by any number of compute processes. So again, that data sharing. It means that if I have two materialized applications working on the same Kafka topic, I'm only maintaining that internal state once versus maintaining it in every single use case. And I'm maintaining it in S3 versus maintaining it in memory or local disk. Okay. That's the new materialize, basically, what you did mm -hmm. last year, right? Okay, very smart. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Um, I mean, this is not maybe for the recording, but um, so Robert will have to edit it out. But the question would be, um, have you had a look at the uh, rising wave source code to see? Um, I've not, no. In, in what way they... Could so I, I mean, they don't have this they, like comparative engine underneath, I would assume. So would, like the, the really yeah. honest answer record or not is I have not spent a lot of time looking at rising wave. Um, mm. I have met the, some of the people that work on it at various conferences. Yeah. They're all yeah. very lowly people. I don't know the technology well enough to comment on it on or off the record. Yeah. 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 Because, I mean, they, they, they kind of emulated materialize in a way, I think. I mean, it's the it's, concepts at least are very similar, but they don't have timely data or differential data flow underneath. They have I, something else. Yeah. I have heard them talk about <clears throat> Rising Wave as a modernized flink. I have not mm -hmm. heard them talk about it in comparison to uh, materialize. And so that in my head makes me think of certain things, but I. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't want to guess, I, I because I'm probably going to be very wrong. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, that's very interesting, definitely. So yeah, I don't think I have more questions now. Let me think. <laughs> hmm. Maybe um, just a practical question. Um, will it be um, um, or is materialized cloud um, available on GCP or Azure? Uh, right it now? is no so it's only on aws today um yes. the system is built knowing we will expand to aws and azure <laughs> like all the aws specific components are pluggable so that persistence yeah. layer i was talking about doesn't yeah. write directly to s3 there is a proper abstraction barrier and all those good things okay um we i it's the boring business answer of we'll expand there when we feel there's Okay, appropriate that would be for. Yeah. Good, good for us because I'm, I'm currently struggling because um, we're trying to build some kind of a streaming data mesh, whatever thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so to basically do uh, 
push a lot of the data integration work to Kafka from the existing like point-to-point -point connections. Mm -hmm. And from my view, it's really important to have a good streaming database in place um, yeah. to do like, I mean, kinds of transformations, joins and stuff, which you do need in, mm -hmm. uh, at most, uh, in most use cases. And currently we only have KSQL Basically, so we're building on Kotlin yeah. Cloud. We only have KSQL, and it's it's uh, not really. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I can. What I want. Not, I would not to love to have something like the um, materialize instead. Yeah. Not to sound too salesy, I will tell you we have some rather large customers who do run on GCP, and we just use SSH bastions as a way to secure okay. traffic across cloud. Um, so you know, there's practical answers there, but. That is not what this conversation is. Um, yeah, happy to chat about that another time. Good. Yeah, and this is it. Nice. So, well, it was a pleasure talking to you. Was fantastic. <laughs> Lots of insights and new connections. And yeah, I haven't talked to to Frank directly. I, I talked to him via Slack for some time, but mm -hmm. um, but you you, would, you you were you were able to to kind of uh, make it yeah understandable. A bit more. I like it. Uh, I'm I'm very glad to hear that. Cool. Yeah. Thanks a lot again. And um, thank you. Yeah. Maybe see you another time. Will you be at current uh, this year? I I will be. I'll be at current this year. Okay. Cool. So maybe we can. Well, I I will probably be sitting at the materialized booth the entire time. So please. Okay. Yeah, then I'll, I'll, I'll find you. I find you. <laughs> amazing. Good stuff. Okay. Amazing. Thank you. And have a good. Bye. You too. Bye. Thanks.